children's church. And for those who remain, I'll encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. It's on page 1006 of the Pew Bible or 1193 if you have the large print edition. We'll be looking at the first 18 verses of chapter 10, considering the theme of a superior holiness. This is God's word. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. He then adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these... There is no longer any offering for sin. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are a God who forgives sins once for all. Help us to understand what this means for us and for how we live that we might be set free to live as your people and serve you as our God. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this passage goes back and reiterates several themes that we have already looked at in depth over the last few weeks. But then it brings them to a point in this way. What if 
you understood the point. What if, what if you got on a deep and most visceral level what this text was teaching? What about your life would change if you understood what was being taught? And what's being taught is this. Our God deals with our guilt by making us completely holy. And this is, this is good news for many of us, because if, if you're like us, maybe for all of us, guilt besieges our hearts. It can drag us to despair. It can undermine our love for the Lord. It can sabotage our relationships with one another. And and for us to be able to know that that guilt is dealt with has the potential to set us free. What, What sources of guilt assail your heart? What sources of guilt burden you? Do you lust after things that are not yours to have? Are you filled with covetousness and greed to gain and possess more? Is food an unhealthy source of comfort for you when things go awry? Are you full of worry and fear? Do you grow angry and frustrated and then grieve at the consequences? Are you snared by addiction? Are you beset by grief? Like, what is a source? What is the source of guilt that most burdens you? Where you keep finding yourself saying over and over again, why did I do that again? I thought I knew better. And what about your life would change if you knew beyond the shadow of doubt that that guilt was dealt with? If what this passage teaches is true, that God deals with our guilt By making us completely holy. We're going to consider that theme in three ways. And the first is this. The Lord shows us our need for holiness. This is nothing new. This is what the author of Hebrews has been trying to to teach. The whole old covenant, all of the Mosaic law, all of the sacrificial system and the rituals and the liturgies were designed to teach God's people who they really were and who he really was. You see this in verse two. Why would they have, why did they keep Offering these sacrifices over and over and over again. Why was it in in the law that these should be offered every year on the Day of Atonement? There were the morning sacrifices, the evening sacrifices, the sin sacrifices, the the first fruit sacrifices, all sorts of sacrifices, the, the free will offerings, the offerings for Thanksgiving. Why this constant inundation with sacrifice? 
If they actually worked, wouldn't the worshipers have offered a sacrifice once and been done, set free from all guilt for all time? But they became conscious of their sin. They became aware more and more every year on that day of atonement. Oh, there are things in our lives that need to be dealt with. that need to be confessed. that need to be repented of. There is a guilt that we bear that God needs to take away. And if he doesn't reveal that guilt to us, we will live in the presumptuous arrogance that God is just lucky to have us on his side. But our sin... It's like an iceberg, right? The Titanic hit it. There's just this little bit showing, showing on the, the surface. But there's so much more mass of the iceberg way, way below the surface. 10% is above, maybe 15. But there's so much beneath the surface and so with our sin. And if we think that just... Thinking about it one day a year is enough. We haven't gone deeper. We haven't seen how great our need is. We haven't seen the mass and the weight of guilt that we bear before God and one another. We have a similar cycle that ought to teach us our, our guilt that ought to remind us of our sin, that ought to bring about consciousness of sin. In the old covenant, God's people, they might have lived as the most oblivious lives, but on that day of atonement, they were all forced to gather and bear witness to the fact there is guilt on this people. We may not have uh, that formal cycle of sacrifice, but we have our own that we live out. This cycle of guilt and sin and shame. What does it look like? Often it looks like this. There is this tension that builds up in us. Something is happening. Maybe there is a desire that is growing in our hearts for something that is disordered. Maybe there are circumstances that are pressing in on us, causing us more and more worry. There is this tension that builds up that is asking to be released in worry or in anger or in the fulfillment of desire and we stand against it so long sometimes but eventually we just can't bear it anymore and we give in and in giving in we find relief we blow up somebody and then finally I got that off my chest Or we indulge some desire and find uh, that we find some sense of of release, a rush of endorphins. We drink a little more, we eat a little more, and for a time, we feel so much better. Until we come to our senses and this shame sets in. And we wonder, how did I do that? Again, what is wrong with me? And we feel at that moment the reality of guilt. And there's an opportunity in that moment 
to not just recognize the guilt, not just bear the weight of the guilt, but to find a way to deal with the guilt. And so we do. And so we start to make promises. We say, never again. I'm drawing a line in the sand. This is the last time. I am never going to fall for that again. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be better about this. And we may, we may enter into a period of spiritual hyperactivity to prove to ourselves that we can keep this promise. Or maybe we don't even make the promise. We, just, we can't deal with the guilt, so we just blame everybody else. Well, they made me do it. This was your fault. And we try to deal with our guilt by making promises or making accusations. But eventually, that tension builds up again. And no matter how good and holy we've been feeling, Circumstances arise, desires arise, and once again we find ourselves in a position, and maybe we've been doing really well, and we start to convince ourselves one more time won't hurt. Or we might even tell ourselves, I deserve this. I've been working really hard to obey. And we give in, and the cycle begins again. And we never actually dealt with our guilt. We just ran from it or hid from it or tried to put it on others or tried to numb ourselves to it. And we never dig deeper to even ask the question, why? Why do I even have this tension building up to begin with? Why do we even have this desire? Is there a better way for me to deal with this guilt? We just sense the weight of it, and we don't want it. And no matter how selfish, self-centered it may make us to put that guilt off on somebody else or to indulge in destructive behaviors, we don't want the guilt. And we never stop and ask, is there a better way? Is there? And does that even sound familiar? Does that cycle of the guilt resonate with you? How do we deal with it? What is a better way? What is the best and most successful way for you to deal with your guilt? How do you deal with guilt? And this passage tells us the answer. How do you deal with your guilt? You don't. Because the second thing I want us to see is that the Lord himself makes us holy by declaring it so. This is an incredible thing. And this is what Psalm 40 is getting at and what the author of Hebrews is trying to teach us. You see it in particular here in verse 10. By that will, what we'll get to that, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That word sanctified just means made holy, set apart. See, what Psalm 40 is saying is that the old covenant was always teaching God's people that the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. They needed something better. And it's not just David speaking. This is David speaking prophetically in Psalm 40, such that the author of Hebrews can say that when Christ came, the second person of the Trinity took on flesh and became man. 
he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. I have come to do your will, O God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in human form, fulfilled all the requirements of the, of the law. Fulfilled all righteousness. Fulfilled all holiness in all that he did. Never falling to that tension of the buildup of temptation. He withstood to the end, to the fullest, and never fell into sin or disobedience. But he came to do the will of God and actively obeyed and fulfilled all the law's requirements for us. And more than that, he offered himself in obedience to God. He gave himself as a perfect sacrifice, not not shedding the blood of bulls and goats, but his own perfect, holy, and righteous blood that sinners might be sanctified. And the mechanism for that sanctification is the declaration of God. He has sanctified us through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. He has declared us holy. Theologians call this definitive sanctification. It's related to justification, if you are into big theological words, but it's not quite the same thing. And it confused me for many years, even in the, uh, the seminary school. And, and this realization that God in Christ sets us apart for himself, declares us holy. And in so doing, makes us his own, separate from sin, separate from guilt makes us his by the power of his word through the work of Jesus. When Tracy and I were in Montreal many years ago, we stopped by the Museum of Fine Arts there and they had the Fabergé egg exhibit. And it was quite interesting. Just these little jeweled eggs with all these intricate little things. They didn't let me play with any of them, sadly. They were all set behind glass, probably even vacuum sealed with alarms and lasers and all that kind of high-tech museum stuff because nobody was going to touch those things. They were precious, beyond value. And I've wondered since, like, what? who decided that gold-encrusted eggs were valuable? I mean, people now, they're putting egg, uh, gold, gold leaf on cheeseburgers and trying to sell $500 cheeseburgers. Like, who, who decides what things are valuable and precious? The Lord God of the universe has, enca- has set his people apart, encased them, and protected them from their guilt and their shame, made them his own, set them apart. And declared them holy by the power of his word through the work of Jesus. Does that change for you? That that sets you free to be honest. 
honest about who you really are. I mean, here we are in the American evangelical church, and we struggle to be honest about who we are. We, would, we are much more comfortable being little Pharisees, living as if we have our whole lives together and everything's nice and neat and tidy and everything's fine. Thank you very much. When in our hearts, in our lives at home or at work, we might be a hot mess. But knowing that we are God's holy people sets us free to be honest about who we really are with one another, with ourselves, with the Lord. And it gives us a confidence. Like it's, it's not the sort of honesty, like you just need to face who you are and it just beats you down. There is a, 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 a this is this glorious truth where we can be absolutely honest about who we really are and still approach God with confidence knowing that we're his. It's an honesty that doesn't destroy. It's an honesty that doesn't tear down. It's not cruel or capricious. It's restorative and redemptive. What would it look like for you to start living honestly with your spouse your children, with your parents in a way that doesn't tear down, but in a way that reflects what God has done in declaring his people holy. The Lord shows us our need for holiness and then declares that we are because of the work of Christ. But he doesn't stop there. The third thing I want you to see is that the Lord makes us holy by working holiness in us. See, there is a difference. You, you feel the difference, right, between being declared holy and being actually holy. That difference is distressing, at least for me. And, but this isn't an unfamiliar concept to us. I mean, you might have finished law school and passed the bar and gotten a job and somebody somewhere has declared that you are a lawyer, but that doesn't mean you're a good one. You can have a child and suddenly find yourself declared a father or a mother. And this, especially the first time, but, but all the subsequent times you start to realize, but I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I don't know how to be a father or a mother. And you have to grow into those things. And we feel the distance between being declared to be something and actually being the fulfillment of it. And so it ought to come as a comfort that God doesn't just declare us holy and leave us to sit in that distress, but he is working in us to make us more and more holy. You see this in verse 14. For by a single offering, he didn't just in the offering of Christ declare us holy, but by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This 
word sanctification in the scripture, it has these two senses. Definitive sanctification, God declaring it so definitively. And progressive sanctification, God working it in us more and more as we progress through life. And it often depends on the context. And it often involves both. And this perfected for all time is pointing to the fact that it's not just us now, but all believers in all time, old covenant and new, who ultimately, even if they were looking forward to what God would provide in the Messiah, they yet beheld, or we who look back to the Messiah who has come, all are perfected in all time through the one offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, because the blood of bulls and goats never could take away sin. And if God is working in us more and more, this sanctification, he's not waiting on us to figure it out. Notice in verse 15, he says, the Holy Spirit also is is involved in this. He's telling us how this is going to happen. God will write his laws on our hearts. God will remember our sins and lawless deeds no more. He is working in us to make us more and more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, who is completely and perfectly holy. And because of what Jesus has done for us, God does not just declare us holy, but he is making us holy and sets us free to live for him. How? How does this work? What might this look like? You can think about it this way. There are a lot of ways we could answer this question, but I'm going to challenge you with this way. One is this, this sets us free to listen to our sin. Now, I don't mean what you think I mean. Like, interrogate your sin. Question it. Set it down in the interrogation room and shine the bright light on it and ask it the questions and listen to the answers. Why do I need this? Why do I want this? Why is this generating fear in my life? Why is this going to bring me satisfaction? What is it that I have believed that makes this thing so attractive? And after you've listened to the answer, speak to your sin with the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. Let the Lord himself answer those needs. Do you think that that sin of anger and frustration will will bring a peaceful resolution to your circumstances that is superior to the peace that Christ can bring to your soul? Have you thought that the, the love that this illicit relationship can bring to your life is superior to the love that Christ can bring to your heart? What is it that you have believed? And speak back to your sin, the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and connect yourself to a community of people who are striving to walk in the light of that. Clinging to a God who declares them to be holy and is working it out in them day by day, patiently, 
with long-suffering grace, they might be more and more like Jesus. And when we do these things, not because it earns us anything, it reflects the freedom that God gives us to walk, not in the way of sin, but in service toward God and one another. You see, guilt, guilt can be the sort of thing that we spend a lot of time beating ourselves up over. Like, we, we think guilt is the sort of thing that's going to bring the anvil from heaven, like in the cartoons. It's going to fall on our head and crush us. And so we don't wait for that. We just set ourselves on the anvil and start going and beating ourselves up, thinking that if I just hammer myself hard enough, if I'm just harder on myself and harder on the people around me, I can beat the guilt out and purify myself. We lose sight of what God is doing. That he is the master blacksmith. And when he puts us into the furnace, when he brings the the tongs and the hammer out, it's not to beat us up in judgment. It is to forge us and form us and shape us into something glorious and beautiful that will reflect his holiness and his majesty to all who have eyes to see. You don't become humble by trying really hard to be humble, but by seeing who you are before God. You don't become gentle to the wayward and sinful by trying harder to be patient and gritting your teeth with all those annoying people around you. You become gentle to the wayward and sinful by seeing how big your sin is and how gentle and patient God has been to you. You begin to depend on Jesus, not by following a bunch of rules and checking things off on the list, but by seeing that there is only one who can possibly make you right with God, and it is Jesus. There's nowhere else for you to go. What about your life would change if you learned the truth of what this passage is teaching? That God himself deals with our guilt by making us completely holy. Because where there is forgiveness of, of sins, there's no longer any offering for them. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see what you're doing and set us free to be your workmanship, created not out of our own efforts, created in Christ Jesus to do the works that you've prepared for us to do. Set us free from the burden of guilt. Set us free from its oppression, from the despair it brings, the isolation and the destruction. Set us free to live in Christ, knowing whose we are. Give us eyes to see where we need to repent. Give us eyes to see our sin. Give us eyes to see our need and our guilt. But give us eyes to see Jesus who deals with that guilt for us. We ask this in his name. Amen. Let's stand.